podcast series discussing alcoholism and the effect on mental health. Music by Kevin McLeod. talk about your injury now this this obviously mark i'm going to be frank and ask you sort of in-depth questions so you can answer them or you can't what age were you when you actually had the accident oh yeah good question i think i was 38 or 39 i'm trying to to remember now and what what actually happened 38 (laughs) Uh, i was on holiday in fighting ventura with, with my wife jules and uh, it was that night where Mo Farah won the 5K, so it was like yep. the double Olympic gold. Hmm. And we went out to a, a small tapas bar just around the corner from the hotel for a meal. And I don't really have any memory after that what happened. But no. I remember after we'd eaten starter, uh, I got up and went to the toilet. And a few minutes later, Jules was thinking, well, you know, where is he? <laughs> he kind of got talking to anybody because there's nobody in here. <laughs> And uh, she came and knocked on the toilet door. It was just one of those little cubicles. And apparently I opened the door and, uh, and I was just completely out of it. I had no um, no sort of comprehension of where I am or what had happened. Called a, hospital, uh, called a, a doctor and uh, blood started pouring out my nose. I was really oh, sick. Oh, sure, sure. Outside the restaurant, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was taken to hospital. And there was obvious, obvious language barrier in the hospital and um, I was discharged. A little bit later with a, with an ear infection put in a taxi with Jules and I ended up it was, it was about an hour or so to get back to the hotel and and then it took me an hour from the taxi to the to get back into the hotel room but but my next memory was was waking up in the room the next morning uh, Jules, Jules was sitting on the bed and I just went God, did we get really drunk last night and by the way we didn't but yeah I just had this this banging headache on the side of my head so uh, yeah it was it was just a random thing of going to the toilet and, and blacking out and I hit my head I, obviously I'd woke up the next morning and we were trying to piece together so George told me all of that and I just told you in, in a longer version of it. I, I was horrified because I, I just didn't remember it and then that day I, I just pretty much slept the whole day I didn't get up at all uh, slept the night again and then woke up the next morning I think I moved from the the, the, the bed to the sofa bed and maybe sat on the balcony for five minutes and you know so I just had sort of 48 hours of of just not moving much and then we sort of started piecing things together and I was like well I've, I've definitely banged my head I knew I banged my head because the pain I had on the the right side of my head was was really surreal uh, we went to the doctors and the doctor I think it's about day three looked in my ear and said oh you've got a lot of blood in your ear um, and you have a contusion which I I didn't even know what that meant, but I was like, oh, right. <laughs> you know, what's one of them? Um, and he said, you know, you, you're flying home on Friday. I think this was Tuesday. He said, you need to come and see me the day before because you might not be able to fly home. So, uh, yeah, I think as, as we piece things together, I knew I'd fallen, I knew I'd hit my head, but I've got no idea how that had happened or why it happened and how bad the injury was until until we got back to the UK, really. So, yeah, it was pretty frightening. So they let you fly. What happened? Excuse me. Yeah, I, I got um, I got cleared to fly home on the Thursday, and we flew flew home on the Friday. And the, the guy said, "Look, just go straight to your A and E." I think I think we landed like around midnight, so we we came home, went to bed, and Jules got up the next morning. First thing, rang rang the doctors, rang A and E, and everything. They said, "Yeah, come straight down." And I went to Northampton General Hospital, hmm. had a CT scan. And again, the guy kept looking in my ear, he's going, yeah, you got loads of blood in your ear and everything like that. 
Um, it's quite dry, so it obviously hadn't been continually bleeding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the next bizarre thing happened. My, my, my stepson was actually in Fudge Venture at the time, but it was back in the days where your mobile phone and your connections weren't as connectable as they were today. And we'd actually written down the phone number wrong, so we couldn't get a hold of him while we were out there. But on the way back, he, he his le- lead, his lift had let him down. And the only person that could really go and pick him up was Jules. So I was like, oh yeah, you know, you, you go off to Luton Airport, pick him up. I'll, I'll stay here. And, and when they release me, I'll just walk home. Because, you know, we walked to the hospital anyway. Um, so I got put on this this ward, uh, just a regular hospital ward. I sat there watching the football results coming in because it was the start of the season. And then uh, next thing is I got a, a, a nurse come over to me and still, you know, we're not really happy with your scan. We've got to take you to John Radcliffe Hospital. And I end up being rushed over there in an ambulance with the blue lights flashing and everything. And and the next thing I was I was told I needed to have this this major operation. You know, people don't survive this level of injury. Thankfully, Jules had turned up at John Radcliffe when I found this information out. You know, that was when the world dropped through the floor, really. So what exactly had you actually done then? So basically, when, I, when I'd fallen, I mean, I worked out. I've either hit my head on a toilet or a sink or, or on the floor yeah. or something. Yeah. But the way I'd fallen, I, I sort of hit the back right-hand side of my head. So just above my ear, across the back. And because I'd hit my head so hard, my brain had, had hit the opposite side, so it hit the, the left-hand side of my head, and then caused a bleed on the left side as well as the right. And I had a, I think the bleed was about four or five centimetres on the, on the right-hand side and about one or two, three centimetres on the left. Mm. And because the swelling was in between, it's called the dura matter, so it's in between your skull and, and your brain, there's a, a, um, a, a, a sort of serum where you, which protects your, your brain from hitting the skull. And the swelling was so bad there, it actually pushed my brain and squeezed it against the other side of my head. Ow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they take you down. What do they actually do? I know it sounds awful. Did they actually cut your skull open and sort of play around inside or? How, well, how yeah, they... that that was the plan, but I, I, I didn't have that done in the end because yeah. I had the consultant sat down and I mean, he was, he was such a lovely guy. He had such a, a real passive, calming voice. And he explained this, this operation, which is called a craniotomy. So mm. you, you have two, two major type of operations on the skull. One's a burr hole surgery and one's a craniotomy. And the burr hole surgery is where they would drill a hole into your brain and just disperse the, the swelling. But because my swelling was so big, I couldn't have that, that done. It was a week mm. later. So they had to have, have basically cut a massive part of my skull away and yeah. then yeah. allowed my brain to, like the, the swelling to, to disperse. And then I found out later, it was actually about three, three, two or three months later, they put that bit of the skull back on again. Um, and when the guy explained this to me, he said, you know, if, if you don't have this operation, there's a good chance you could have a, a seizure, you could end up with epilepsy, or, or, you know, if your brain, if it swells anymore and touches your brain, you could die. And I said, okay, so if I don't have this operation, that's what's going to happen. If I do have the operation, what, what's the side effects? And he basically said, well, there's a good chance you could have a seizure, you could have epilepsy, you could die. Mm-hmm. Plus you'll be in hospital for probably about six months. Um, you probably won't be able to even speak properly or move properly. You may lose some move. I was thinking, hold on a second, you're adding things on to have the operation. So at that point, I, you know, I said, 
what, what are my what are my chances? I have my stepson said, what, what's his chances if he doesn't have the operation? He went, well, it's 50-50 either way. So I, I thought I'd, I'd save myself, you know, the, the, the stress, the strain and the time of the operation and, and take the chance. And they, they kept me in overnight, decided, you know, make, make your decision, which was probably one of the worst nights of my life. And I, I woke up, sort of, say I woke up the next morning, I didn't really sleep much, but I just thought, no way, I'm, I'm not having this operation done. And, when I, I look at it for sort of nine years on, I think I've always stood by the fact that that was the best decision. I'm so pleased that I didn't have that operation because <laughs> yeah. it just turns my stomach thinking about it. <laughs> so what? Um, so the hospital then obviously do their treatment. How long were you in the hospital for? Yeah, I was. I was sent home the next day. I was basically told just don't do anything for the next two weeks until you come and see us again. I had a I had a summer school booked in, and I was told to um, basically not do anything for the next couple of weeks. Um, I had a school booking, and I said to the guy, you know, I've, I've got this booked in. Can, can I do it? And he said, Well, if you're really, really careful, but you shouldn't really be moving a lot. So yeah. I, I, <laughs> I did I did this summer school, and I explained to the students, you know, I can't run around and make lots of noise or anything, and it, it was fine. And then I went back and I was told that the, the the swelling hadn't got any bigger at this point, which was good news. Oh. So sort of three three weeks after the accident, if the swelling isn't getting any bigger, you, you're not, you know, it's not going to hit your brain and you're not going to die. But please just don't bang your head. Please don't do anything strenuous, any contact stuff. Yeah. They, yeah. they said, you know, you're okay to go for a run and very light exercise but no, nothing nothing more than that so yeah it was it, it was it was a pretty pretty strange time uh we talk about mental health and obviously mm. what what was the impact of that long term well long term yeah it was it was strange really i went from needing a life-saving operation to six seven weeks later just go and live your life as normal so i i, I did that yeah, you know, I was I was travelling up and down the country as a motivational speaker. I was going into schools, so you know I was going from Lincolnshire to Liverpool and then down to Wales. I was I was doing things like that, but it was probably a few years later. I, I was about a year or so later. I was still really struggling to focus, and I found myself having like panic attacks. Yeah. So I went yeah. back, I went back to the doctor, and I don't think I'd ever have, had a panic attack before. And I went to the doctor. And uh, they just sort of said, look, you know, these things normally take it six months to a year to settle down. So I'll refer you on to the hospital. And the hospital told me the same as well. You know, just just take time. And I think about four or five years later, when I was I was still really struggling and really I was struggling with with like mood swings and fatigue is the absolute worst. So, you know, I remember one day leaving a school in Birmingham at lunchtime. And I had to drive to, to Devon near Exeter, a place near Exeter, Honiton it was called. And as I was driving down there, I stopped twice in service stations. Both times I slept in the car. Uh-huh. And then when I got to the hotel, I just went and crashed out on the bed before I had some lunch. And yeah. then I had a whole yeah. night's sleep and woke up the next morning. And I just thinking this, you know, this isn't right. But yeah, it took it took six years before I actually got into um to, to, to get some support really with it because it was just it was just unbearable in the end. Was was this all part and parcel of um, the actual brain injury? Um, did they actually say this was going to be a side effect? 
not not as such. I think I think the, I think in the early days it was very much like you you survive this, just go forward, don't look back. Yeah. It was almost yeah. that message, and you know, being in personal development, motivational speaker, all that sort of thing. It was like, yeah, that's great. You know, I was told pretty much the only thing I couldn't do that I did before was play football, and that was. That was pretty tough thinking, oh, I can't play football anymore, but I can run, you know, I can, I can do all the other things I want to do. Yeah, I was never sort of like given, you know, the leaflet saying this is the side effects of brain injury or, or you have, it even took me quite a few years to realise what the term brain injury meant. I think, I, I think I'd worked it out that, you know, this, this has been since, since the uh, injury. Like, you know, I, I went to a drop-in centre at Headway who are, yeah. who are fabulous and every month I went there the, the the support workers there would just sit down and say oh yes you know this this is normal side effects to to, to brain injury but then yeah. I was seeing people coming in in a wheelchair or on a walking stick oh, or God. having a conversation with me and then literally falling asleep halfway through the conversation I was thinking you know I'm really lucky that that I haven't got that side effect, so maybe yeah. I'm alright. I'm alright, you know. I can walk away from this. I'm fine. And I don't, I don't, don't really, I shouldn't be here, you know. You get that massive imposter syndrome because I, I don't go, like going to doctors. I don't like being ill. I don't want to talk about those sort of things. I just oh, let's just get on with life. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. It, it did sort of. It became real. It became a reality that these were the side effects, but there was nobody then. Uh, then sort of like saying, "Oh, try this or try that." Apart from maybe take some antidepressants and I thought oh, yeah. Antidepressants. Oh, yeah. What, what's all that about I've seen mates take them and and have real issues with them so yeah <laughs> probably six six years after my accident hmm. I'd had you know I'd had some pretty pretty tough times the company I was freelancing with I realized that you know it's I was it was it, I couldn't do it anymore I couldn't continue the 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 driving that become train journeys but that was even also really really difficult yeah um, so I, I went back to I, I had a, a yearly appointment with the neurologists at Northampton General Hospital yeah. I sat down with this guy and I just said look I, I really really can't do this anymore I, I'm stressed you know I'm I'm, I, I'm struggling to stay awake I was sleeping like probably near enough every single day in the afternoon and then still feeling tired I just had a, a, a massive issue with with loud noises, with with um, being in social situations. I was even avoiding going to stuff and, oh. and seeing my family and friends and that. And I just said to him, I can't do this anymore. And the, the chap there, again, really lovely guy, really understand it. And he said, I'm going to refer you on to uh, Eisbrook Brain, uh, Community Brain Injury Hospital Department. In, in Wellingborough. Now, Wellingborough is 10 miles from Northampton. Yeah. And I was yeah. expecting to say, oh, I'll send you to like John Radcliffe or Coventry or somewhere like that, which is it's a bit further away. And I sort of sat there and I said, what, you mean there's a brain injury hospital in Northamptonshire? Oh, yeah, yeah, this, this place in Wellingborough. And I just remember sitting there thinking, why do I not know about this place? You know, why have yeah. I never found yeah. it myself? And he, he was almost like a little bit defeated saying, you, the chance that you probably won't get in there because they're they're so oversubscribed, and and I end up getting a call and saying yes, you know we, we need you to come in for an assessment, uh, and sat down with a really 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 everybody everybody's so lovely in this whole process, you know I haven't met anybody who's not, 
and I met this this really kind lady who sat there and asked me lots of questions. Uh, Jules was there with me as well and filling in the gaps because I realised I, you know, I was missing half these things myself. And she said, "Yes, we'll, you know, we'll put you on a support program and give you one-to-one sort of counselling sessions and what have you." And it, it was amazing, you know, it, it sort of changed my life. And it, I think the main thing was the acceptance. Yeah, I sat in a room with people who were unable to walk, uh, people who, who were unable to stay awake for the whole day. And I sort of said, oh, you know, I feel a bit like I shouldn't be here. And a, a, a lady who was, who was with a daughter who had, who had a um, stroke mm-hmm. sat there and went, well, you, you wouldn't be here if you, if you shouldn't be here, would you? You, you have a brain injury, you know, you, you you suffer all these things that all of these guys suffer. So don't say you shouldn't be here, be part of the group. And I think that was a moment where I tipped over the edge and thought, actually, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, I have every right to be here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna embrace and enhance this and, oh. and get as much from it to, to improve my life, really. Apart from football, is there any sort of other things that they told you to avoid? Yeah, a- anything with impact. So I can't do any. I can't do anything like boxing or martial arts. But I wasn't yeah. really into them anyway. Yeah. One, one thing I, one thing I, I won't do. So you know, I love running, and there's there's obstacle events where you have to climb over things. I, I won't do anything like that because I don't want to risk banging my head. I, I was told not to do anything like. <laughs> like extreme sports. So like bungee jumping was out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, hey. uh, even, even roller coaster rides. So anything where, because when, when you when you go on, like say you, you think of yeah. a roller coaster ride, you have the G-force of, of your head going from Which side to side. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a personal question. Did you suffer with depression after? Do you know what? Yeah, it's it, it's really weird because I think, I think I had a, a, a very quick acceptance of it because it was confusing. It was really weird. Like I went to the toilet. I have no idea what happened. And and I used to do these these crime scene investigation reconstructions when I was in a public toilet, where I'd stand there and I think, right, where was the toilet? How did I fall? You know, and yeah, yeah. and I'd try and work out how I'd fallen. I didn't go through this this why me because you know people used to say, well, did did somebody jump you and hit you on the head or or were, were you drunk? And I I always say to people, no. You know, nobody hit me on the head. And I think if somebody had have hit me on the head, I'd have been in a different place. Yeah. Yeah, I, have a, I have a really good friend who was in a car crash as a passenger. And it, he spent a lot of time and a lot of anger over the, the driver that was driving badly, you know, and, and mm. had a head on collision with a car. And I never had that, I never had that anger of blame. But yeah. I, I certainly yeah. did, I did hit a point of depression through the through the years because, because the mood was so low, so. It wasn't the accident itself. It was just the fact that I've, I've done what I normally do today, pre-brain injury. I, I'm doing do what I what I normally do, and yeah. I'm so tired. Yeah. I can't I can't focus. Yeah. Or, or I'd have yeah. a conversation with with somebody, and I I would forget really key bits of information. I mean, s- since looking into it, I, I understand you know people with ADHD what they can go through, and people with autistic traits. I can sometimes be following a path of something, thinking, like, I've got to do this, 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 and this. And if something changes in that path, I struggle to to move away from the path I had originally. Yeah, I'm with you. So that, that caused a lot of issues with, issues with real anxiety. And, and uh, you know, I got told about depression. I always thought depression was somebody who just locked themselves in a room and didn't talk to anybody. 
but then I realized it was not having the ability to express emotion. Two, two things I haven't mentioned is, is in the time since brain injury to today, uh, I, I was signed off from John Radcliffe very early. And the day I was signed off was two weeks after my mother-in-law passed away really suddenly. And I remember having this, this total lack of emotion at one point, because I was obviously gutted to lose my mother-in-law, but I just couldn't grieve. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get, get into a situation where I, I felt like part of being able to connect with the family and like cry with everybody and everything. I just felt like just stunned. Uh, also, Jules, 18 months after my brain injury, after my accident, was, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And thankfully, you know, it was a tumour that was caught very early. Yeah. But she had six months of the most horrendous chemo treatment and operations and everything. And it was, it was a lot of things in the pot. And I remember just sitting there one day, I was, I was um, going to a school and I was sitting on the train and I was just thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know how to deal with all these things. You know, this is, this is a three or four years later. Um, I went to a school, I delivered completely the wrong session in the school. You know, they wanted, they wanted one topic and I, and I delivered something else. And, and it was a great day. The students loved it. You know, the, t- the teachers didn't think <laughs> mention it at the time. They decided to complain about it two days later. And, and ask the company for a refund. And it's like, well, <laughs> it wouldn't, you know, for me, it would have yeah. been easier to say yeah. in the day, but but I, I just couldn't work out why I'd make a mistake as obvious as that. How does it affect you now, doesn't it? Well, the the sort of counselling and process out at Icebrook Hospital was really good because mm. it almost took me, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, imagine if you had to go and do your driving test again, you'd have to like, go back and make all the mistakes that you made in the early days you'd have to change the way you drove and, and by the way I've, I've real experienced this because I took an advanced driving course a few years ago and I remembered I had to relearn to drive and get rid of all the bad habits and this this was the same sort of process I almost had to go back and you have to get worse to get better I was attending support groups which were brilliant and then I had one-to-one counseling with them. and I'm going to use the word again a lovely person uh, called Helen, who, you know, we just clicked straight away and we had the most, uh, I had the most amazing support from her. But when I was going through this support process, I was I was realising that, oh, wow, it's really normal to have this horrendous fatigue. Wow, it's really normal to um, hear some words from somebody and just not process them at all. But then hear some words from somebody else in the same conversation and, and they go in. All those things, it's just like, wow. So now where I am today is is I know a lot of the triggers. You know, we, this week, for instance, we've had uh, some noise from some neighbours next door that have just moved in. But student parties and that. And, uh, and uh, if, if I don't get the right sleep through the night, then I'm, I know that, that fatigue's gonna follow. But it won't be necessarily, oh, I didn't sleep well last night, nine o'clock this morning, I feel tired. It might be three o'clock on Tuesday, I feel tired after Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know it's coming. And then yesterday morning, I, I woke up and I just thought, I feel like I've got a hangover, but I just need to go and sleep. And I slept for about an hour and 20 minutes, woke up and felt worse. Knew that I wasn't going to concentrate in the afternoon. So the whole point of of the afternoon was to just take it really easy and think right okay let's not do anything really strenuous this afternoon 
Yeah. Because Friday, yeah. today, I'll, I'll feel fine. I'll, I'll, I'll feel focused. But the old me would have pushed through and tried to do something and it would have then just spiraled out of control. I've got a question for you. A random question mark. Do you yeah. drink? Yeah, yeah. I love a, I love a pint now and again. Yeah, no, it uh, is because um, uh, my impression is that once you had a brain injury, because obviously with alcohol, it sort of affects certain areas of the brain, whether or not they would uh, say, don't drink, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah, um, I mean, again, in the, in the very early days, I think the first things, the first questions I had was, can I can I play football? No. Can I run? Yes. Brilliant. Can I have a pint? Yes. Um, <laughs> but whatever whatever I was told was in moderation. Yeah. So now, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love a pint of real ale, pale ale, stuff stuff like that, craft beers and whatever. But my limit will be probably two, three pints. I'm not the type of person who go down, start necking shots or yeah. going on all night yeah. benders or anything. It, but bizarrely, we were on holiday recently and we were we were staying at an all inclusive place, and you you naturally drink more when you, you you're somewhere where it's on tap and what have you. But I do know my limit and I do know where I've got to start. But the weird thing as well is that you know if I go back to my my old days of going out with the lads and everything like that and you go out and you drink until you're really drunk I don't think I, I could do that anymore I don't want to be out of control <laughs> is that just your age Mark but also as well well I'm only 22 but no <laughs> but yeah also I don't think I can get drunk you know if I have a few drinks I, I, I can feel the effects but it doesn't yeah. wipe me out and I have friends who just can't touch one drop of alcohol because it affects different parts of the brain as well so yeah yeah i do i do enjoy a pint but like everything it's in moderation so um next question is you're self-employed what do you do for a living mark yeah so i'm, I'm still a speaker i'm still a public speaker and, and, and an author as well jules and i decided to to go independent a few years ago because we wanted to get away from having to work on somebody else's terms so even though I was a self-employed presenter, I wanted to move away from you, you're going here on this day to this place. We run a lot of personal development and life skills programs in schools. And this week we're in a, a college doing a, an adult program that we've just started. So that's really exciting. It's, it's all to do with what, what do you call it? So, so we, we, look, we look at things like goal setting, motivation, resilience, uh, how, to, how to deal with life's adversities because we've had to deal with a few of those ourselves. Uh, how to set goals, if you're studying for something, how to make your studying fun. And then on the on the spin-off from that, we've also written a, a series of books. So there's uh, personal development books for teens, for young adults, study books. And we've also written a biography story of, of, of my brain injury and Jules's breast cancer as well. So yeah, yeah I love yeah. writing, it's brilliant. <laughs> okay, so the company's called uh, Future Toolbox. And uh, you, you can find us the obvious website address is futuretoolbox.co.uk. What else would it be? Uh, there's, there's loads of free stuff on there as well. So honestly, go on that. Uh, we've got a great YouTube channel, which is obviously at Future Toolbox. And you can find all our books on our website as well. So my favourite book title is, is Don't Get Your Neck Tattooed. Yeah, I've got a copy of that. You've got a copy, you've read it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a, yeah, that, that's a Z to A of life skills. So it's a, it's a fiction slash personal development story. You, you, people will love that. The other major book is What the Hell Just Happened. So that's the words that Jules said when, when I sort of was laying in the hotel room 
completely wiped out. She's like, what the hell just happened? So that's that's our story, really. And a lot of people, yeah, have enjoyed that read. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess the advice I give to anybody who's who's suffering life adversities, and it doesn't have to be brain injury. You, you know, as I've mentioned before, I I understand the traits of autism, I understand the traits of ADHD, and and so on. And I, I would just say to people just to just to slow your life down sometimes and, and take it on your terms. You know, things are too busy. We're, we're always rushing around everywhere. And since I've stopped rushing around and like sort of taking the taking the 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 uh, sorry I, f- I forget things as well when I'm trying that's to right. speak that's another that's another brain injury uh, I, I sort of forget the I, f- I forget the, the the rat race that people get stuck in because I left that a, a long time ago and that was pre-brain injury but I, I just say to people like look look at look at the things around you and think like do, do I really need that does that add value to my life if, if it doesn't find a way of moving away from it so if, if you know if you've got a friend you're always arguing with on social media, do you, do you really need to waste your mental energy on that? Yeah, do you exactly. really need to listen to the news every day and and hear hear the same story repeated over and over again and, and the bad news in your life? But also just just like set yourself some goals and think right, okay, I, you know if if it's an avoidance goal, I don't want to work in the rat race anymore. Find what you want to do and and move find ways of moving towards it. If you yeah. want to write a book, find find a way of writing a book. Oh, you know about that as well. You got one coming out. Yeah, but also, yeah, and, yeah. and go for support. I mean, I, I I avoided some support in the early days because I had this label of I'm, I'm a fit, active guy who's just run a couple of marathons, a lot of half marathons, and I don't need this. And, and sometimes you have to be honest with yourself and think, yeah, actually, I, I do need support. I do need to, I do need to sit down and and take stock of where I am really. We, I mean, we've all had to do that over, over the pandemic, haven't we? And yeah. it's okay not to be okay sometimes, especially if you're a bloke. You, yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> Blokes can't talk about that sort of stuff. Oh, no. I know. Oh, no. Shake <laughs> up the stigma. <laughs> yeah.